Hey y'all, my name is Ann Wyatt. I started my career in workforce development with the state of Kentucky in 2010. That experience ignited a deep passion for manufacturing within me. I started this show hoping to raise more awareness around the bright outlook manufacturing careers have. Join me as I sit down with some of the manufacturing industry's most successful change makers and learn how they're partnering people with technology. It's time to give people more meaningful work. This is Workforce 4.0. All right. Hey, guys, and we are live. Hello. How are you? Thanks for joining us today. You guys, I am super stoked today because we have the one, the only, the manufacturing rock star, Chris Lukey, with us as our guest. Hey, Chris, how are you? It's good to be here, Ann. Been looking forward to this session. Excited to dive in. Awesome. Yes. And I know that you've got such a big fan base out there. And if you guys are in the comments watching this uh, live, just drop us your questions for Chris as we go along. Super excited to get into this conversation. In-person events and stuff, it's, it's definitely an important part of the future of work, I think. And I'm excited to explore that more. Before we get too far into our conversation, though, I do have a question for you. And I recently found out that you also are an event host of Karaoke Nights. That is something that you also participate in. So my first question for you is, uh, tell me what your go-to karaoke song or your favorite song is, um, because, you know, I love music and I'd love to learn that about you as well. So I'm going to give you a bit of a roundabout answer to this because it's not as cut and dry in people as people think. Because karaoke, there's an art to karaoke because a lot of people go up there with this me, me, me mentality. I'm buzzed. I've had two beers. and I'm going to butcher this classic song. That's not exactly how karaoke should be done. Really, I take a lot of my karaoke lessons from playing in a cover band. You got to read the room and you got to time it right throughout the night. So you don't want to come playing like some heavy metal tool song at like in the beginning set, right? You got to space it out. You got to start with some pop jams, right? Some things that are easy to sing along to maybe move into dancing music as the night goes along. And if you really want to do some rock and roll, do it, you know, as the night has progressed, right? So, you know, if it's early in karaoke and I'm kicking things off, like people are only five songs in and the crowd's still getting warmed up, I'll do something like One Week by Bare Naked Ladies, right? Classic oh, song. That fun tune but if it's getting later in the evening and it's it's time to rock uh beastie boys fight for your right to party is my go-to and I, I, would, I would say a secret with both of these songs i'm not much of a singer both of these don't require that extensive of a vocal range like you can get by with uh let's say average vocal talents on these songs those are the things i factor in timing vocal range those are a couple of my go-to karaoke songs probably more than you or your audience wanted in that answer but there you go no i needed all that information so that i know now how to proceed in future events that i could host as well um so feedback just real quick um so alanis morissette where are we on that as being a good starting? <laughs> I think that's, I think that's, yeah, no, I think that's fine. I I'm trying, can you name one of her songs? I can't figure out. I'm, I always get her confused all with like really Michelle want. Branch and all the, what, what was the name of that one? All I really want. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, I would mix that probably earlier in the night, right? Like, or 
you know, it, it's tough, right? Because when you do karaoke, chances are you're signing up for a song that you're not going to get to sing for 30 minutes to an hour or more, right? So you got to anticipate. There's there's a lot of career lessons that can be learned from karaoke, to say the least, right? You got to, you know, it's, it's that whole Wayne Gretzky comment. Don't go where the puck is, go where the puck is going. And you got to do that with your karaoke selection as well. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you. Because, uh, you know, I'm making some mental notes for sure on that as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, when I was in Charlotte, uh, and you were in Florida for uh, Rock Live, you were doing a karaoke night as well. So that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. It was a good um, time. Excellent. Yeah. So to kind of get started into the conversation a little bit, um, let's go ahead and kick it off. Um, I think that we all know that you're the host of your own podcast, right? Manufacturing happy hour. Yep. Yep. Been doing it for, I guess the podcast itself for a little over two years now. I've been running it as a brand and a video series for about five. It's been a blast. Yeah. And you're very successful at it. And I know that, um, I found your podcast kind of before I really was aware of who who Chris Lukey was. So that's a really cool experience as a fan too. Um, but you interview, what, what really interested me personally and got me personally into your podcast is that you're always interviewing such amazing leaders in the manufacturing space and also in the automation space. So it's, it's always a treat for me to listen to because your guests are always so knowledgeable in what they're talking about. And just from your point of view and perspective as a host, um, generally speaking, like, why do you think that having such diverse voices that you feature on your show, um, why do you think that's so important? Do you feel like there's necessarily a sense of responsibility for you to, uh, to do that? And um, how do you feel like that kind of contributes to the future of work as well? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll answer generally and then I'll get more specific. I mean, I do think it's the right thing to do. And also, I mean, to be quite frank, the future of our industry depends on featuring diverse voices. Um, so I'll start with some stats and then I'll start with, you know, maybe some of the topics people are familiar with, right? One of my guests that I had on Manufacturing Happy Hour um, is Justin Sherman, and he's on a mission to help diversify the manufacturing workforce. Uh, he runs a business called Equity Machine Works. I highly recommend anyone listening to this check it out. Um, and he shared a stat that is one of the ones that's probably stuck with me the most during this show. He's like, you know, diversifying the manufacturing workforce is it's simple demographics, really. If you look at graduating seniors in the US in 1995, 73% were white and Caucasian. Um, looking ahead to 2025, uh, the graduating senior class will be 51% white and Caucasian, right? And this is just one element of diversity we're talking about here, right? But the reality is demographics are shifting. So if industry is going to survive, um, we need diverse talent. Um, and you're probably more aware with that than anyone as, as a recruiter. I'd say the other thing on top of that, though, is, you know, it's a reason many people are familiar with why companies hire diverse talent, right? If I were to do a podcast featuring people that looked just like me, sounded like just me, um, and chances are thought just like me in a lot of ways, like it would be a very one dimensional show, right? And I wouldn't learn anything. My audience wouldn't learn anything. 
And I think in order to, you know, at the end of the day, to keep all of us open to new perspectives, we need to hear from diverse voices, age, race, gender, all of the above, um, because our experiences shape the way we think, right? And we want to hear the stories. At, at the end of the day, a big mission of the show is to share the stories of the people that are making the industry run and getting those stories out there, hearing people uh, from their perspective, whether it's their knowledge, whether it's their background, I think helps all of us in the process. So that's my answer to that question. Um, that's that's a big part of my mission is making sure we're sharing stories um, across the whole industry at the end of the day. And it's one of my favorite parts to learn from those individuals. See, yeah, me as well. And um, I'm really inspired by the work that uh, Justin Sherman is doing. Also, Andrew Crow, our friend Andrew Crow, mm -hmm. um, he is crushing it, right? So I think that's, that's very important as well. And uh, a great point that you made um, on why I think that the future of manufacturing is it, it's just going to require that, right? Um, excellent. So of all of these manufacturing leaders that uh, are deploying technology in the most effective way, um, who out there that you're seeing is not only accomplishing the goal with um, diversity, but also with technology and helping people, uh, giving them more meaningful work, as I like to say? Sure. I, I think technology is is part of it, and but it, it goes beyond the technology. It goes, I think, I mean, it goes to the problem that the technology is solving at the end of the day, right? So, you know, I, I spent a long time working for Rockwell Automation. Now I work for a division of their company, Fix Software, a recent uh, acquisition of theirs. Um, but one of the things I learned there was, you know, just, you know, Rockwell's own uh, connected enterprise journey, Industry 4.0 journey, bringing together different plants under the same business system, looking at an enterprise and saying, hey, what do we want to accomplish by building these new plants, standardizing on an ERP on a business system? I think that was a great foundation to learn that. You know, now where I see a lot of people doing cool things with technology, it's ones that allow it to do a simple problem that's that's easy to grasp, right? Like whether it's digitizing maintenance software, moving it from a paper-based platform to a digital platform. Um, I look at other ways people are leveraging technology to do things aside from just the manufacturing processes themselves, right? You know, one of one of my favorite episodes I did was with Dan Voigt. He is the president of an excellent equipment builder called Blendtec out of Northern California. Um, and they leverage their tools to enable, like all of us, a hybrid work environment. But I think it goes beyond having the tools. But, you know, one thing I learned from Dan is that, hey, there are certain tasks that we do really well when we're remote and there are certain tasks that we do really well when we're in person. The reason I'm going this direction is to say that, hey, technology is just one piece of it to kick it off, but it's looking at the processes and the habits that develop from using that technology. Because you can give someone the greatest tool in the world, but unless your company has the culture and habits to implement it, it's not going to go anywhere. Absolutely. Can we say that again for those in the back? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I agree. And I think, you know, when I, I'm seeing all this conversation, this is really a big part of why I started the show too, is to make sure that we keep people and culture at the center of industry 4.0, right? Excellent points. Thank you so much for that. I do want to bring up a comment from our friend, Ira. Hey, Ira, how are you? Different perspectives are key to breaking away from groupthink and helping things move forward. Absolutely, Ira. 
Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for that. I would agree. What do you think? Yeah, I was, I just finished, actually I finished a book and I finished interviewing this person yesterday. So this podcast is going to come out in a few weeks, but um, I interviewed a guy named Joe Sanok who wrote a book called Thursday is the new Friday. And you might get a hint as to what it's about. It's about, Hey, how can we enable a four day work week? Right. And I think at least my perspective as a podcaster that delves in this digital marketer world as well. I think my first impression when I hear that, it's like, Hey, you know, this is something that works for digital marketers, podcasters, et cetera. How does it work in manufacturing? Right. Um, so we had a good conversation on that. I'll let the audience check that out in a few weeks when it comes out. But the reason I'm going this direction is what Iris says about breaking away from groupthink. One of the things that Joe talks about in his book is outsider perspective, right? And he talks about things that allow people to be more effective in their work that ultimately allow them to do more in less time. And taking an outsider perspective, looking at a situation not from the lens of, hey, we've always done it this way, but hey, what would happen if we brought a total novice into this and they just looked at it? What would that individual think? Um, I think it's extremely important, right? I mean, that's that's a reason on the topic of recruiting, let's say, young talent. Companies value young talent so much because they haven't always done it this way. They just came out of school, trade school, whatever it might be, and they've learned a ton of stuff. And leaders that have been there for a while value those people coming in and saying, hey, why are we doing it this way? This makes no sense. And then someone can actually take a step back and be like, oh, yeah, that's right. We've done it this way for 10 years, but actually this is completely ineffective. It doesn't get us anywhere. And you're absolutely right. Maybe we should think of a new way about doing these things. So long answer again to describe why I do think it's extremely important to move away from groupthink. We've always done it this way. Great comment, Ira. Thanks for bringing it up. Absolutely. And um, that's really the the foundation. I know I talk a lot about high performing teams and the high performing team structure. And I think that um, it's easy to say, well, of course, we have a high performing team because we all, you know, collaborate together at some in some way. But the high performing team structure is very definitive on, um, you know, having those different perspectives. And there's actually been a lot of studies shown that um, that prove that decision-making is more effective and is more efficient and is quicker to say the least um, in a high performing team setting. So I love that. I love that. I think that's such a, such an important point. Thank you, Ira. I have one more uh, comment question here before we move on to our next question. This is a LinkedIn user it says, hi, Chris Lukey. I love your beyond the buzzwords approach about the kind of conversations manufacturers craving right now. What else or what does the distribution lie in people, process and tools? It's a good question. Yeah. So what kind of conversations are manufacturers looking for right now? You know, I'll, I'll start it off with some of the hot topics that, that people discuss right now. And a lot of that's automating to create better jobs, right? We have a workforce issue. We can't hire enough people right now. And you know this better than anyone. Yes. Another topic that people are talking a lot about is supply chain. Um, people are talking about diversity in their workforces, right? That's something we covered earlier. But I think if I'm, if I'm hearing your question, right, you want to talk about, hey, when it comes to people, processes, and tools, where are people focusing? And I can at least say from my perspective, I kind of focus people first, process second, tools third, right? Because you need to you need to have those 
you need to have the foundation to get a tool to work. And I think we were just talking about that a little earlier in the interview and, and what our manufacturers craving, at least from my experience as a podcaster, I, I think people want to hear about other people and they want to see the human side of the individuals. And that's a big aspect of be, the beyond the buzzwords approach. It's not only about talking about technology and the tools you mentioned in an approachable fashion, but it's talking about the leadership and the know-how of the people that are behind these tools, behind these processes, whether it's the people that are implementing them within their manufacturing organizations, or whether it's, let's say, the technology providers, the people that are leading those companies as well. So if I look at social media, if I you know, get feedback from my listeners, a lot of what I'm hearing, it's like, hey, we want to see people continue to humanize the people in the manufacturing industry because gosh, if I see another blog article that starts off with, you know, reduce cost, optimize, you know, all, all insert all these buzzwords here, I'm going to tune out. Right. So for me, from what I hear, and maybe this is my bias as a podcaster, people want to get to know the people behind the technology. Absolutely. I could not agree more, but I'm, I am biased, you know, because of what I do and the stories that I've heard and uh, kind of the same thing. Love that. Great answer. Thank you so much. Um, I bet I'm going to go out on a limb here because I'm also that random LinkedIn user, but I bet that's Carol from Industry <laughs> 4.0 Club. So nice. thank you, Carol. Um, so switching gears just a little bit in our next question, you not only do all of these amazing things with your podcast and your show. You, you're not only doing amazing things with in-person events. You're also really walking the talk. And I'm very, um, I'm just really proud of this certain scenario. But you just recently had the chance to go to, was it Cedar Point? And I was at park. Cedar Point. Certainly a high, I mean, going to Cedar Point in general is always a highlight of my summer, but um, I think I know where you're going with this. Um, so please continue the story. I didn't mean to jump in too quickly. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. But you had the chance to talk to uh, young students about mechanical engineering. And I think that's, that's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience and working with them, what your highlights of that experience were for you? Mm -hmm. um, kind of get into that for us. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, lo I love speaking in front of a group. I guess that probably doesn't come as a surprise as a podcast or someone that, that loves jumping on camera and behind the microphone. But um, I had an opportunity to be a part of their uh, engineering day uh, in May this summer to speak to a group of middle school and high school students about, you know, basically how does automation work, right? And one of my favorite examples to describe how automation works is a roller coaster. Um, I just actually just got back from Europe riding roller coasters. For anyone that doesn't know me, roller coasters are an obsession of mine. I've traveled around the world to ride them. But I also think it's a really easy example for, let's say, someone that's never encountered automation or mechanical engineering before to start to understand how it all plays in. So the way I describe automation is it's like the nervous system behind a roller coaster. It's all the electronics and controls that you don't see behind that cool ride, the sensors that make it start and stop and operate safely, all the controllers that tell things when to start, stop all the safety features. Um, so I, I went through that whole talk with, with that group and, you know, let's be honest, one of the reasons that I was excited about that was uh, 
I wanted to become an engineer because of roller coasters. The first time I rode roller coasters, I don't know if this is good career advice or bad career advice, but in fourth grade, I had decided what degree I wanted to get because my parents told me engineers designed roller coasters. So I didn't have to think any further than that. I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And on the topic of our conversation today, Anne, I mean, the reality is if we want to get people into the manufacturing workforce, we got to be thinking more than five you know, or one, two, three, five years ahead, right? We got to be thinking 10 and 20 years ahead and getting the next generation to understand what our industry does, what people like us do is a key aspect of that. So, I, you know, I was excited. I thought it was a great opportunity to pay it forward. Um, there was uh, this, this was at the encouragement of my mother. Actually, I took a picture there. I think the first time I visited Cedar Point in 1997, I was 10 years old. She's like, you got to go back and recreate that photo while you're there. Stand in front of that same roller coaster, take that photo, same pose. And I went ahead and did that. Right. So um, I'll be sharing that on social media later just to kind of describe, hey, you know, it's our responsibility to inspire the next generation while they're young. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up, and that, that was absolutely a highlight of, uh, of one of the things I did this summer. And I hope we get a couple mechanical engineers, electrical engineers out of that from that crowd. Absolutely. I think that's so relatable because what kid does not like roller coasters, first and foremost? And it's just the perfect opportunity to take something that they're passionate about or something they enjoy, right, that they don't really associate with work right and um create an opportunity to talk about engineering and i just thought that was so cool um i saw that photo i thought that was such a neat idea too uh so kudos to your mom because that was that was a very cool idea i saw that on your twitter and that was um that was really cool to see i'm, I'm you know? glad i did that i'm pretty sure it was something i originally approached with an eye roll as as sons regardless of their age sometime do with their mothers but uh kudos to mom on that one i'm glad i'm glad we pulled that off <laughs> Absolutely. I've got a couple more comments to go over here before we get uh, get to our next question. You guys are blowing these comments up. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, this is awesome. So Evan White from Factory Fix, our, our friend Evan, says, great conversations. Two rock stars talking about the tools you need to succeed in a high-performing team setting. The industry needs more of this. Thanks, Evan. I think we both agree. Always good to see Evan out there. Yeah, it's it's cool to see that the tools that are in the recruiting spaces now. I'm sure your job has changed over the years, Anne. Like the technology does not just impact the processes on the factory floor. It's all the things we do. So, Evan, thanks for jumping in. Always good to see you on social media or in person. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of my so the recruiting business is 100% SaaS based. Yeah. Yeah. It's all mm -hmm. which uh which is awesome you know it offers a lot of flexibility and we'll we will get more into that here as we go along luke small says digital transformation is not about technology love that order of people process tools and tech well thanks luke i hope you're well it's good to see you and then our friend rob who is another rock star hi rob i see you um, it's all about the roller coasters. Yeah, it's awesome, right? Yeah, awesome. I agree. I agree. Rob, Rob, our buddy is based up in Seattle, actually, which is a surprising like area where there aren't a ton of roller coasters. There are some up there in the Pacific Northwest, but you got to go search them out. Um, it makes it all the more interesting for me to want to go up there and ride the ones that are there sometime. 
Yeah. So I love roller coasters. I don't get a, a chance really to get out and do that yet, but that's, that's one of those things. It's like whitewater rafting, man. It's like one yeah. of those things that you're like, ah, just waiting you know, yeah. for, for your little to get big enough where you can just take them and run and go and do that. That's, that's going to be fun times. Absolutely. Fun times sure. Absolutely. Um, so getting into the SAS model and getting into this idea of remote work and, and all of that good stuff. Um, I'd imagine that you'd have to build some pretty strategic systems. I think you touched a little bit on that earlier. Um, but in order to work remotely for you and then also with your team that you supervise, um, there has to be some implementation there and design there. Do you see the future of Workforce 4.0 providing more opportunities for remote work? And how can companies prepare themselves to integrate this model into their internal workforce? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I definitely see it being the future of work, right? Even in manufacturing, I think that's what's, you know, if, if we're in a competitive hiring market, it's going to be manufacturing companies that are able to say, hey, you can work for us, but also we have a sabbatical. You can work remotely. We have a four-day work week instead of a five-day work week, right? All these things are going to be differentiators. Some of them already are, to be quite frank, right? So yes, I think remote work is the future. I think it's a huge differentiator for employers. I also think there's a lot of onus on the the employees, the team members, the leaders that do take part in remote work. I really just started doing it this year, like going somewhere like a destination like New Orleans, like Berlin, setting up shop and working there for a while. And, you know, I think I've learned a couple things, right? You know, I was in New Orleans for a month and I was able to take care of creative work. I was really able to get into my routine when I was working remotely in Berlin, it was really for like a week and I was just in execution mode, response mm -hmm. mode. Like there really wasn't a time for me to get set to be like, okay, this is where I'm going to work on my business instead of in my business. Right. So I think there's, you know, employers need to figure out, Hey, what, to, like I mentioned earlier, Dan Voigt has talked about the hybrid work model he's implemented at blend tech. It's figuring out what works well in person, what works well remotely. And I think it's, you know, employers and employees alike or solopreneurs need to figure out what allows them to work effectively. Because I can tell you, I love being in Europe for a few weeks, taking a little vacation, working remotely. I'm also just as excited to be back home for like two straight months where I can get into some really disciplined work, work on my business, do some things that have been on my plate for a while, rather than just being in response and execution mode. So Roundabout answer there. I do think remote work is the future, and I think we're already seeing it from some employers out there. So I'll share with you, I've had the same experience. It is, you do have to be very intentional when you're working remotely and you're traveling because you do, you know, if you, if you know you're going to be somewhere short periods of time, it is hard to get settled in. And you do have to really be kind of in execution mode and kind of have everything essential. I call it essential business functions. Yeah. Um, which it works very similarly when you, you know, when you have littles that are home and you're home and, you know, for in those weeks, like right now is a good example for me. So it's more like essential, you know, you kind of go into that essential model where you 
just do the things that have to be done. Right. And yeah, to, to piggyback on that, like when I was in new Orleans, right. I think uh, there are also good things that come of it, right. You get more effective. Like you're like, I am, I'm going to stop working at 6 PM today. Right. Because I want to go have a po' boy and see a jazz band. Right. So there is, there is an element where you start, um, let's say eliminating some of the tasks that you realize weren't value add, right? They weren't helping you. They weren't helping your clients. So you do get more effective and disciplined. So there are some incredible things you can learn from it beyond just the being in a different city, embracing a new culture, being around new people. You know, I think there's a lot to be learned from that as well. Cause I, I know, Anne, you've seen it and maybe some of the listeners have seen it when I'm traveling, I'm sharing all the things I'm learning from seeing the way that culture functions from seeing the way, they've embraced industrial technology as well. So there's a lot of things that can be learned in that process that are very positive also. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. You're always very informative. And I know you have the Anthony Bourdain goals. I, I feel as though you're achieving those goals for sure. So uh, you're, you're fun to, uh, you're fun to follow and um, always sharing stuff you're learning. And so I think your audience learns a lot from that as well. So my last question for us today, before we close out, you know, one of the main reasons that I've asked you to be a guest on Workforce 4.0 is to really talk about more about the importance of what you're doing with the hosting, the happy hour events, like in person, and then the other social networking opportunities. I feel like this is important from what I've experienced working remotely, but I want to get your thoughts as well. Um, but how important are these kinds of events in team building and providing stronger cultures in our manufacturing workforce? I think it's huge, especially coming off a two plus year pandemic, right? I mean, obviously it's, it's still a thing, right? But people are anxious to get back together. It's a great opportunity to connect. There's a lot of serendipity that happens from these events, right? And some of them, they're, they're just some things you can't recreate remotely um, that have to happen live, right? And to be honest, the whole live aspect of manufacturing happy hour, these events, that was part of the idea from the get-go, you know, for, for some background for people that might not know the full manufacturing happy hour story. I started it when I was a sales guy in San Francisco um, that was calling on a younger audience out there. And in doing that, I, I'm like, okay, I want this cool platform where I can drink a beer with a product expert and talk about some Rockwell technology. But I also want to be able to throw a reel manufacturing happy hour and bring my clients together and have them share ideas. Right. So, you know, from day one, that was always part of, let's say the double meaning of manufacturing happy hour. So to answer your question, I do think it's extremely important. If I look at what's happened in manufacturing happy hours, digital community in our live events that we do, you know, during the after hours of trade shows and things like that, people are making connections that are impacting their jobs, their careers. Um, and, you know, hopefully at a very basic level, just their enjoyment of the industry, right? It's cool to have a beer with people that you've been seeing on LinkedIn for months, for years, and then finally getting to hang out with them in person. Absolutely. And I agree. And from a culture and team building perspective, for me, it gives you a it gives you an alternate environment, right? So if I'm showing up at a show and I'm speaking on a panel, I'm wearing black, you know, I'm dressed like mm -hmm. in what we would call like I'm you're you were in a. Kappa Sigma, right? Is that yep, right? Yep, yep. So you're in your blacks, okay? Like, you know, pearls, you know, professional, very, you know, um, authoritative posture almost. And then, you know, it doesn't really give much opportunity for approachability, mm -hmm. right? 
you you want you want people to be people you want them to have those opportunities to be people with each other and sometimes people you know it builds more relationships when you give them a more casual laid back environment to do that and they can kind of take all of that like professional masking off and say you know i i enjoyed following you on linkedin i've enjoyed your content and it just gives you that extra level of you know seeing each other as humans and i exactly. think it's got to be a, a huge factor especially when we talk about remote work you have to create those opportunities for your workforce i think for sure yeah i mean from day one it goes back to you know one of the listeners commented on going beyond the buzzwords right you know a big part of going beyond the buzzwords is rolling up your sleeves and having a real conversation with someone you know, very similar to what we've done today, Anne, right? Like we want people to be able to go out to the bar with their colleagues or someone they just met at the at a trade show and feel like, hey, this is the type of conversation I can have with someone when I'm having a beer with them, right? It doesn't need to be something that's limited to a boardroom or the halls of the conference, right? So it always goes beyond that. Awesome. Well, we are at time today and I know your time is valuable to you. I appreciate everybody that has come and watched uh, the episode today and has blown up the comments. Rob, we see you. You're amazing. And thank you to everybody else that had questions for Chris today. Chris, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to connect with you? Yep. LinkedIn is a great spot to find me. I should be, I think, one of the only Chris Lukies on there that's spelled that way. Otherwise, uh, hey, make sure you tune into Manufacturing Happy Hour wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, all the niche spots, or manufacturinghappyhour.com. And then on social media, we are MFG Happy Hour on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those spots. But to manufacturinghappyhour.com, great central hub to find all of that. Absolutely. Well, and join his LinkedIn community. He's got a whole community going. So um, feel free to reach out to him, right? Is that you got to send the link and he'll add you. Yeah, please do. Yeah. For anyone listening, that link is very simple. Manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. You can request to join. I would say shoot me a note on LinkedIn as well, just so I, I know who you are also. And uh, yeah, jump right on in. Would love to have you there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate your time very valuable conversation and looking forward to doing it again sometime. Likewise. I love what you're doing with this show. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure and stay innovative, stay thirsty. I'll catch you around the industry soon. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you guys. Cheers. Cheers.